One of the things I love the most about Christmas are Christmas movies. Any Christmas movie, Aholics out there, uh, we can, this is church, we can confess. I, I love Christmas movies. In fact, we have a list of about 10 or 12 or so on my phone, and we try to work our way every year through these Christmas movies. Some of them are very uh, kind of goofy, funny, like Elf, you know, and the Santa Claus. You got, I definitely have those on the list. And then you've got some uh, classics like Miracle on 34th Street and uh, It's a Wonderful Life and anything that's black and white would be, I guess, a classic. And then, uh, then you've got those really uh, old-timey claymation movies. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and there's one other one. What's the other one? Frosty the Snowman. Yes, that's right. So you got the guy that says, I want to be a dentist. You know, that whole thing. Yeah, I love those movies. And another one that, that is really cool that kind of see, just says Christmas is starting is the Charlie Brown Christmas special, right? With Charlie with this little goofy tree and the whole bit. The thing I love most about that particular one is that there's a part in that show when Linus comes out with his little blankie and he, talk, he talks about the true meaning of Christmas. And he literally quotes from the Gospel of Luke, which I love that about the show. And so he talks about how the angels appeared to the shepherds and they said, you know, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And you will find this babe lapped in, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And, and then there was a whole host of, of angels declaring, and then he, he quotes it, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. You know, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 9, talked about this coming king, this coming Messiah, this coming Christ. And one of the things that he's going to be called is he's going to be called the Prince of Peace. So people are, in Christmas time, they're hearing these things. And what I hear people saying is, okay, wait a minute, you're telling me that Jesus is the Messiah, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And then when Jesus comes, he's going to be, there's going to be peace on earth. He's going to be called the Prince of Peace. Then there's usually a long pause, and they say this. So where's the peace? If Jesus is who we claim to be, then where's the peace? I mean, I don't have to tell you that peace is in short supply right now. There's a lot of crazy things happening. I mean, just this week's news cycle reminds us how twisted up our world is. This week, we had a gunman come into New, uh, a, a Jewish market uh, in, in New Jersey and killed five people and sent hundreds out into the streets mourning and grieving. Just this week, a girl was stabbed uh, just a few blocks away from her campus outside of Columbia University uh, by a bunch of teenagers. She had just finished her first semester of college. Um, of course, you got the craziness happening in Washington and it's piped through uh, cable channels 24-7. Uh, you've got things happening in North Korea, you've got things happening all around us, and that's just kind of the big things. I mean, I'm not even talking about the unsettledness that may be happening in your world, with your work or your family or situations that you're dealing with. And, and people are wondering, where is the peace? It's almost like there's a missing peace that's been promised. You know, people are searching for it. Uh, I don't know if you have the Bible app on your phone, but the Bible app is now on over 400 million devices worldwide. Isn't that amazing? 400 million devices. And so they are able to actually extract 
uh, trends and what types of verses and things people are looking up. And they're able to identify the most engaged verse of a year. And in 2019, you know what the most engaged verse was? Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. See, people are literally searching for peace, looking for peace. Where do we find it? And if Jesus is supposed to bring peace, then why aren't we seeing it? The truth of the matter is, folks, we live in a twisted up world. We live in a very chaotic world. And, uh, and we're not going to see world peace here uh, until Christ returns, until Christ comes back. But even though we cannot see world's peace, we can't experience his peace. And so what I want to show you today is what does Jesus say about this thing called peace? How, what is it? How does he give it to us? Why maybe are you not experiencing it today? We're going to talk about that. So get your Bible. Why don't you open it up? to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 is where we're going to be landing. And John 14 is really kind of a, you can feel the tension in this part of the story. Jesus is with his disciples. They're in the upper room and uh, it's the last moments he has with these men that he loves. And he is telling them some things that are going to happen so that they will not be shocked. And yet as he's telling them you, he can see the blood draining out of their faces because they are growing ever, ever more anxious and worried. First, he tells them that one of them among that inner circle is going to betray him. And he has some little sidebar conversation with Judas and Judas leaves and goes out into the night. And we know from the story that Jesus is, Judas is actually going out to work with the chief priests, the temple guards to have Jesus arrested that very night. Then Jesus tells them that Peter, really the rock, the, uh, the, 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 the spokesman, the, the leader of the group is actually going to deny Christ. Not just once, but three times that very night. And then the worst of all, he starts giving them language about him leaving. He's talking about, I'm going to go and you can't come with me and you're not going to see me anymore. And what, what is this? And they're saying, Jesus, where are you going? And, and why can't we come? And you can just almost see the fear and confusion just all over their faces. And so in John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking comfort to his disciples. That's what the whole chapter is about. It's about him comforting them and trying to show them how to find peace. And look at what he says, John 14, uh, down to verse uh, 27. This is what Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled or fearful. Now, I want you to circle that word peace there. Uh, the word peace that Jesus uses is the word shalom. And it, that is an important word. Uh, if you go to Israel today, you would be greeted by someone. They would usually, they would say shalom. They would say it as a greeting. They would say it almost as you depart, peace, peace. Jesus even used the word shalom as a greeting multiple times in the scriptures. So Jesus is speaking the word shalom here. And shalom is very rich in its meaning, far more than our English word peace. Our sense of peace is absence of conflict, right? We just want some peace, right? Absence of conflict. Shalom means something deeper than that. Shalom literally means a wholeness or completeness 
or it means uh, uh, God's favor. It means physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially that you are complete, you are whole, that God gives blessing in your life. That's what shalom means. So when you say shalom, you're saying may God's peace and blessing and completeness be on you and your family. When you say goodbye that way, that's what you're saying. It's very important. So when Jesus is saying, I, I want to give you peace, I want to give you shalom in the midst of all this craziness, I want you to experience shalom, my shalom, my peace, I want to give to you. I want to give you my peace. And then then he says, it's not like the world gives. It's not the same as what the world has to offer. You know, this week I was reading a medical article about stress and how stress impacts our body. And he said, this is gonna shock you. He said, if you're under stress, there's some physiological signs of stress. One of which is you're gonna have headaches and you're gonna have stomach aches and you're not gonna be able to sleep. You're gonna be restless when you sleep. And, and some of you are gonna have heart palpitations, all right? Uh, any of that sound familiar? Don't raise your hand, all right? Just, just receive it, all right? And, and so your body has to deal with this stress that's happening inside of it. It's gonna come out with these things. And so the article goes on to say, but you can have peace. Those are the exact words. You can have peace, peace of mind. And then it goes on to tell you how you have peace of mind. It says, number one, you need to exercise at least 30 minutes a day. And then you need to maybe do some breathing exercises so you can just kind of breathe your way and kind of calm yourself down. He said, then you need to get some rest. You need to get at least eight hours of sleep. You need to make the room temperature cool. You need to put on some little goggle-like things to kind of block off any ambient light. You need to be sure you put on a little fan so, so you're not distracted. And then you just need to rest, right? And then, and then if that, all that doesn't work, we got some medication for you. So here's what hit me and I was reading that. It was like, that's the best the world has to offer you. Some exercise maybe some sleep, some pills, and that's it. And what Jesus says is so much better than that. My shalom, I wanna to give to you. Boy, doesn't that sound good? He wants to give that to you. Another thing Jesus goes on to say is this, do not let your heart be troubled and do not be fearful. Now, as soon as I read that, do not let your heart be troubled, my ears, my, my Bible ears perked up, all right? Because I'm thinking, I've heard this before. And you may have thought the same thing, and sure enough, you have heard it before, and it's actually in this chapter. If you run your finger up from verse 27 all the way up to verse 1 of John 14, what are the very first words of John 14, verse 1? Don't let your heart be troubled. See that? So what that means is that the phrase, only your heart be troubled, happens in verse 1. It also happens in verse 27. So that becomes book, bookends for the whole chapter. The whole chapter is about how not to let your heart be troubled. The whole chapter is about how to know peace. Peace is not just a part of the chapter. It's the whole thing. And by the way, it jumped off the page at me that you can let your heart be troubled, right? Come on, let's talk now. You can let your heart be troubled. If you just let it, your heart will run to anxiety. Your heart will run to fear. If you let it off the leash, your, run will, your heart will run, your thoughts will run to the worst case scenario. It will run to whatever frightens you the most, whatever worries you the most, what, what, whatever images you can conjure up of what the future may hold. 
And so he says, do not let your heart be troubled. In other words, you got to do something about that. You need to not let, get this, you don't need to let your heart be troubled. You need to set your heart on the peace, the shalom of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Now that sounds really good, doesn't it? But some of you are thinking, Pastor, I just can't do that. I can't not not worry, all right? I can't do it. I mean, you don't understand. My mom was a worrier. Her mom before her. We got a whole generation of worriers. I, I'm, I've taken worry to a whole new level. All right? It's a spiritual gift for me, really. Worry is. I get anxiety better than anybody else. All right? I just can't not worry. All right? I just can't do it. And, and, and so, listen, here's what I'm telling you. Is that Jesus actually shows us how to do it in this chapter. So I'm reading it. I said, okay, if it's bookended, if this whole chapter is about peace, this whole chapter is not about worrying, not about anxiety, but experiencing his peace, how do we do it? So I'm reading it, I'm reading it, reading it, reading it, and then all of a sudden I saw something that I'd never seen before. Now, I know that shocks you, but preachers can learn things new. Amen. Thank you. Amen. And whatever I get, I get to pass on to you. All right. And so what I noticed were two words that appear over and over and over in this chapter. And those are the words, I will. Now, I want you to just look at, just, just as, you're, as you're scanning through there, you can't even circle every time the word I will appears in this chapter. It actually appears four or five times. There's some we wills in there. But every time Jesus says, I will, what is he doing? He is giving a promise. He's giving a promise that he's going to do something. So in this chapter of comforting and saying, I want you to have my peace, he, what he's saying is, I'm going to promise you some things, and these promises is what will bring you peace. And then all of a sudden, it kind of came together for me, and here's what I want you to take away from this chapter. All right, here's the one thing I want you to take away. When we receive, we receive the peace of God, we receive the peace of God when we believe the promises of God. Now think about that for a minute. We receive the peace that Jesus, the shalom of Jesus, when we believe, really put our weight down on the promises that Jesus gives us. You know, that's really true in my own personal life. I can think of times when I was, my heart was troubled, my heart was worried, I, I, I was unsettled, I was afraid, I was anxious about the future, and then I would, what would bring me peace are the promises that I know that I know that this is true. And if this is true, I can hold on to that until that wave of anxiety passes. You see, if you want to receive the peace of God, you have to believe the promises of God. That's how you receive peace. And he gives us multiple promises in this chapter. I can't cover all of them today, but I want to highlight a couple that I think are really important. All right. So let me give you a, a few promises here that Jesus list in this chapter. Here's the first one, the promise of his return. The promise of his return. Look at verse one. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will, there it is, come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Just underline or circle that phrase, I will come again and take you to myself. Jesus was talking about leaving. He said, my, I, I've got to go. My death is imminent. 
I'm going to leave. And he can see the anxiety and worry on their faces. So he says, guys, look here, look at God. Yes, I'm going to leave, but I'm not going just to go. I'm going to do something. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You see, in my father's house, there are many rooms. I think the old King James Version translates it mansions. Other, look at your Bible. How does it translate in your Bible? Maybe dwelling places. There are multiple ways that that's translated. Uh, some, some scholars say it kind of conjures up this idea of apartment complex, a big building with many dwelling units. He said, my father's house is a big house and I've got a dwelling place just for you. And, and, and when it's prepared, I'm going to bring you to myself. When Liz and I were lived in Oklahoma City, we used to look, go to this hotel that was run by uh, students at Oklahoma State University. And so we would like to go to this place. And one of the things I liked about this place is I could send them pictures and frames and, and our favorite blanket or you know, just stuff that was meant home to us. I could send it to them. And you know what they do? They'd actually set up your room for you so that when you show up, it's like you're just going into your own house. That was a pretty cool thing. Jesus said, I'm going to set up this place for you. And then I'm going to come back. And, and then he uses very, um, very tender language, very loving language. He said, and then I'm going to take you to be with me, literally face to face with me. And we're going to be together forever, forever. I promise you, I promise you. See, one of the beautiful promises that Jesus gives us is no matter how bad it gets, whatever we're going through in this life is very short and eternity is very long. And Jesus said, I am coming to get you. I will not leave you. In fact, look at verse 18. He kind of says it again in a different way. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. This last week, my, uh, my dad had a, a good friend named Al. Al. He and Al went to seminary together years ago, back before electricity. All right? No, not, that's not true. And a uh, long, long, long time ago. And they've done ministry together. They partner in ministry together. They've done all kinds of things. They've been close buddies for all these years. Al, in fact, and his wife used to come, they would come here and they would worship with us many occasions. And just this past week, Al uh, began to struggle physically and uh, went to the hospital. He just rapidly declined. They said, you're gonna have to go on hospice. And so they started calling in all the family to speak to him, basically to say their goodbyes. So mom and dad drove down to Temple where Al lived and his wife and met, met with him in that room. And they prayed together. And dad said, you know, I, I think Al could tell just from my prayer that I was just very sad. So he said, after we prayed, I was headed to the door and Al said, hey, Ron. And he turned back and he said, don't worry about me. He said, you know, if I live, I live another day. And if I die, I'm going to Jesus. Don't worry. Don't worry. And as I think about that, how do you get that kind of peace in that moment? You get it from a promise that Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back and no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what I had prepared for those that I love. And I'm going to bring you to me and we're going to be face to face forever. There's a promise that brings peace.
The second promise that Jesus gives, I just want to show to you, is the promise of his response. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. He said, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will, do, will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. There it is. I will do it. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Underline those phrases. I will. I will. Back to back. See, they're probably thinking, he's, Jesus can kind of tell what they're thinking in their mind. And they're thinking, okay, Jesus, if you leave, then we can't do these things you told us to do. You told us to make disciples. You told us to preach, to do miracles in your name. But you've always been with us physically. And now you're not going to be here, so we're not going to be able to do that. He's like, listen, guys. Even though I'm not here with you physically, you're gonna do the same things I've been doing. In fact, you're gonna do greater things. You're gonna do greater things than I have done physically on this earth. You're gonna take the gospel to the nations. You're gonna, you're gonna see national revival. You're gonna see all these things happen. And you're like, well, how is that possible? And it gets down to verse 13. He said, if you will ask in my name, I will do it. Just because I'm not physically with you doesn't mean that I'm not aware of what you're going through, nor it doesn't mean that I'm not unable to empower you and to move on your behalf. I will do it. He says it twice, 13 and verse 14, you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, what does that mean? Ask anything in my name. Of course, the phrase, the qualifying phrase is in my name, right? He didn't just say ask anything, I will do it in my name. So what does that mean? Some people believe that it means that if I just add in the name of Jesus, we pray amen. Or in Jesus name, we pray amen. At the end of my prayer, it gets stamped approval in heaven. Done. All right. Oh, oh yeah. He said the magic words in Jesus name, we pray amen. Done. Done. Right. Is that how it works? Somebody say no. No, that's not how it works. It is not our, it's not a secret formula. We tag on the end. I remember a friend of mine that used to pray and at the end of his prayers, he would just say, and we pray this, amen. And we just kind of say, amen. And people get really upset. You got to say in Jesus name, we pray, amen. Or the, or the prayer doesn't count, all right? I don't think that's what Jesus has in mind here is a tagline at the end of your prayer. To pray in, listen, this is so important. To pray in the name of Jesus means, get this, that your prayers are in alignment with the will of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus for the glory of the Father and the Son. That you, you are praying things that are in alignment with his will and for his purpose and that God would be glorified. That's what you're praying. And he said, if you're praying like that, then I'm hearing and I'm responding. So if you're praying for a, a, a friend to come to Christ, we know that that's in alignment with his will because uh, the scripture tells us that God doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to the truth. And so we know that if you're praying for someone to disciple, you're praying for the church to grow, or you're praying, praying for a church plant uh, somewhere to flourish, or you're, you're praying to serve God in some way, or you're praying for the gospel to be open to certain people. Listen, when you pray like that, you're praying in alignment with the will of God, the purpose of God for the glory of God. God. And Jesus said, I will hear that and I will respond in power. And if you just want to know if that's true or not, just read the book of Acts, all right? Because the book of Acts is filled with the disciples praying in the name of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus by the will of Jesus for the glory of Jesus and Jesus showing up and jail cells opening and the, and the blind healed and miracles happening because the power of Jesus 
responded, Jesus responded to their prayers. Now here's why this gives us peace. Listen, no matter where you are in life, your heavenly Father knows where you are. He knows what you're needed. And as you pray, He hears you and He will respond to you. That's a beautiful promise of peace that it is not radio silence with Jesus. He hasn't cut you off. Sometimes you may feel it. You may feel like, man, I prayed and I, I prayed for a job and now it's month seven and there's no job. Or I, I prayed that we'd have a baby and we've been at this now for two years and there's no child. Or I prayed that I get married and it just doesn't look like there's any prospects out there. I, I prayed for this to happen or that to happen. I prayed for this person and, and, and they haven't come closer. Why is that? Listen, we may feel like at times that heaven is silent. But Jesus is saying, when you're praying in my name, in my will, for my purposes to glorify me, I hear you. I hear you. And I will respond in a way that glorifies me. The hard part many times is when we pray for things that we don't know if it's in God's will or not. Isn't that true? We don't know. Should I take this job in Milwaukee or should I stay in Dallas? You know, should, uh, should I hire this person or not hire this person? Should we um, uh, maybe praying for healing for someone? This is often a big one. Many times we pray and somebody's sick and so we pray for God to heal them and, and we don't know, is it God's will that they be healed or is it God's will that they go home? You know, every one of us are going home at some point. Any healing, physical healing we have is only at best temporary, Right? So we don't know uh, what is the will of God. So how do we pray even in those circumstances? And I'll just tell you what I do, and I, I'm not saying that this is necessarily the best thing to do, but I'm just telling you how I've kind of reasoned through this is I'll just say, Lord, I don't know how to pray for this person. I don't know what your will is in this situation, but I pray that whatever you're doing here, that it would glorify you, that it would honor you, and somehow make the gospel clear either in death or in life. John Piper, who has written extensively, uh, just retired from pastoring a church in Minneapolis. He's kind of known for a saying. In fact, he's, all the books he's written, this one saying is kind of his tombstone saying. It'll probably be etched on his, his tombstone because he just repeated over and over and over and over. But it, it is poignant for this moment. He said, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. So sometimes God is glorified even when things don't, we don't get what we ask for. Because then our satisfaction is not in the outcome, it's in him. That, you know, I want Jesus more than I want that promotion. I want Jesus more than I want that child. I want Jesus more than I want to be married. I want Jesus more than I want this healing. I'm truly satisfied in him. And when the world sees that, they go, wow, God is glorified in this person. And Jesus said, when you pray like that, I listen and I hear and I respond. So Jesus gives us some promises. He promises that he's going to come, and no matter what we're dealing with, it's short-term because he's got a place prepared. He's promised us that he's going to hear and respond to us when we pray. But let me give you one more just to round it off here. 
And that's in verse 15, the promise of his presence. Look at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will, there it is, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He's a spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because he doesn't, they, it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. So here it is, the, Jesus, the Son, is praying to the Father, and he's asking for the Spirit of God to come. So you have the whole Trinity, the Godhead, at work here. The Father providing, the Son praying, the Spirit possessing every believer, and he's saying, listen, I will be with you forever. So I'm praying for another counselor. Another is the word like, like me. Another one like me, who will be with you forever. Another counselor, advisor, another comforter, some translate. Advocate, some translate. But he said the Son and the Spirit and the Father are at work moving in close to this believer's life. And by the way, if that's not enough, there's more. I kind of feel like I'm selling Ginsu Naj right now. Wait, there's more. All right. If you look at verse uh, 21, look at what he says. The one who has my commandments and keeps him is the one who loves me and the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Listen, not only is the spirit of God gonna live in you, but I'm gonna show up in your life. I'm gonna actually do some things in your life that you've never seen before. And then keep reading, look at verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. I'll come to him and I'll make my home with him, with her. We'll move in, settle in in your life. What a great promise that you will never be by yourself, ever. You know, when I was in college, the thing I loved, uh, especially about this time, was not only to be done with finals, which was always a matter of prayer, something like, oh, Lord, help, all right? Usually somewhere around that. And then when we were finished with finals, I would go home and I would literally have a carload of dirty clothes that I had stored up uh, for that moment and an empty belly and I couldn't wait to eat, sleep and repeat. That was just the cycle I was on for several days. But I just loved the smell of home. I loved being home. I loved being in my bed. I just love that. And that's the idea that Jesus said, we're gonna make our home with you. We're going to be close to you. You're never going to be outside of my presence and my view ever because I love you. We'll love you. We'll show up in your life. We will wrap our arms around you. That's the promise of Jesus. Tim Keller uh, stated best. He said, the peace of God is not the absence of negative thoughts. It is the presence of God himself. He said, I will be with you no matter what. I will be with you in that waiting room. I will be with you in that hotel room. I'll be with you in that courtroom. I'll be with you in that boardroom. I'll be with you in that hospital room. And no one will ever take you away from me. 
My friends, that's the peace that only comes through Jesus. And listen, if you, if you want to receive the shalom of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, then it comes when you believe the promises that he offers you. So let me just kind of close it off this way. I think we, when it comes to peace, we have a choice that we can make. You can choose to let your heart be troubled. You can allow your heart to run anxiety and worry and fear for the future. You can just let it run and allow it to steal away your peace that Jesus wants to give you. Or you can set your heart on the promises of Jesus to say, this is what I know to be true. I'm standing on the promises. I'm settling in on the promise. I'm setting my heart on these promises. And when you do that, you will know the peace, the shalom of Jesus that is so confusing to this world, but every believer understands. Do you have his peace? I want you to bow your heads with me for a minute. And I want you just to remain still for just a moment. And I want you to think about your heart right now. How troubled is your heart? Many of you are here today, and if you were just being really super honest, you'd say, man, my heart is troubled. Some of it it's troubled with disappointment, troubled with fear of what life may bring you, troubled with grief, troubled with loss. Your heart may be troubled by unresolved conflicts and the ache of loneliness. I want you to listen to Jesus. Peace I give you. My peace I give to you. Not like the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. I've gone to prepare a place for you. And whatever you're going through is only for a short time. And I'm coming, I'm coming for you. And I love you. And if you call out, I will hear and I will respond. So that the Father is glorified in your life. And I will never, ever, ever leave you. I'm with you right now. I will comfort you. I will help you. I will show up in your life. I will settle in and never leave. Father, I thank you that in this world of chaos and trouble that we can know your peace. Peace is not some vague concept that we like to think about, but it is a present reality as we hold on to your promises in our life. As we consciously choose to set our mind and our hearts on your promises that are true and hold on to them with all that we have. Lord, I pray this Christmas season 
that your peace would settle in on troubled hearts. And I pray, Lord, that not only that we would experience and know your peace, but that we would be agents of peace. That when people around us see what we're walking through and they watch us, that you would be glorified because we are satisfied in you. That we're at home with you. We are at peace with you. Lord, thank you that the howl of the winds of chaos around us do not have to steal away our peace. That we can have it because we have King Jesus ruling and reigning in our hearts. So Lord, help us be agents of peace, lights of peace, people of peace in our relationships, in our conversations, that your peace would settle in our hearts through faith. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, who is coming soon. Amen and amen.